mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. The Buddha said it is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. Which means that all of the mm, stress, distress, and the unhappiness or frustration or disappointment that you felt or might have felt today or at any other time in your life was caused by a momentary or a, a visiting temporary force that entered the mind. Do you believe that? <laughs> I mean, think about it. All of your unhappiness, however you experience unhappiness, caused by some momentary, temporary appearance in the mind. If we could believe this, and this is the teachings of the Buddha, when we take refuge in the Dharma, as I spoke about last night, we aspire to take the teachings of the Buddha as a refuge in our life. And this is the words of the Buddha. This is the Dharma. Can we take refuge in this teaching? That the cause or the source of our unhappiness is a temporary visitor to the mind. If we could believe this, or to the extent that we have faith in the teachings of the Buddha, we would be interested in asking and answering the following questions. What are these defilements? How bad can they be? What can we do about them? And what is the benefit of understanding them. Because as one of our teachers has said, Saito Tejaniya, it is not you who removes the defilements from the mind. Wisdom does that job. We don't have to get rid of the defilements in our mind. But if we understand them, he says, if we understand the nature of the defilements, they will leave the mind. If there are no defilements in the mind, there's no cause for unhappiness, no cause for suffering. It seems so simple, or I should say logical, or almost easy to understand. But as we know, putting these teachings into practice is not a slam dunk. It takes some continuity and some effort, some understanding, perseverance. 
So what are these defilements that cause all suffering? They are thoughts, feelings, moods, assumptions, beliefs that are rooted in attachment or aversion or some form of delusion. They are always fueled by restlessness. And restlessness, as you may have discovered today, is that aimless wandering of the mind over the past, the future, and fantasies for no apparent purpose. And the mind is, as, you, as you've seen, relentlessly restless. It just goes here and there as it will. And when it does, it is accompanied by, it itself is a defilement and is often accompanied by others. While the defilements are fueled by restlessness, they're always accompanied by delusion. There is the ignorance of not knowing that mindfulness addresses, because mindfulness is the practice of recognizing and knowing the present moment. We experience this kind of ignorance when we feel confused, uh, bewildered, lost, or we just don't understand. But there's also another kind of delusion that occurs even though we know the present moment's experience, we understand it wrongly. We don't see, we don't understand what it is that we're experiencing. Even though we know what we're experiencing, we understand it wrongly. And this requires the practice of insight to overcome it. We experience this when we feel enchanted, bewildered, skeptical, perplexed, or we're caught in doubt. When we attribute some significance or meaning or value to an experience, that it doesn't inherently have. Someone was mentioning today in the small group that we met with how so much of their wandering mind just seems like enchanted dreaming. The mind is just dreaming along one hallucination after another. And we jump into some fantasy and get carried along until someone changes the channel, and then we're in another fantasy. This is suffering. It's not the kind of suffering that we imagine uh, is so terrible. But when you really look at what is going on in the mind, you realize that you're not free. You're not free to be alive and present in this moment 
when we're lost in daydreams, hallucinations of, you know, paradise elsewhere. The defilements, or I should say restlessness and ignorance, are often accompanied by attachment. The grossest forms of attachment are greed, clinging, ambition, grasping, craving. But there are subtler forms of attachment like pride, longing, a sense of entitlement, or even excitement. So too, sometimes the defilements or restlessness and ignorance are accompanied by aversion. Sometimes it is the most violent, striking out forms of aversion when we feel hatred or anger or rage, as we sometimes do. There are subtler forms of aversion that we internalize when we feel frustrated, disappointed, despair, or depression. There's also the pushing away forms of aversion when we're irritated or impatient or critical of ourselves or others. Aversion is the inability or the unwillingness to experience the unpleasantness that's happening, that's occurring, that's arising. And sometimes we get angry, sometimes we get fearful, sometimes we get depressed, sometimes we just get impatient. All forms of keeping away from the actual experience of the unpleasantness. Now normally, or in general, these defilements, and I've mentioned a few of them, are so habitual, they arise in the mind so frequently that we take them for granted. We just assume this is the way I am. I am an impatient person. Or we take or we take ownership them, ownership of them. My fear is overwhelming. And in both cases we identify the defilement as some inherent aspect or element of ourself. And when we do that, we preclude the possibility of putting them aside because they're inherently, or they feel like they are inherently, a part of ourself, who we are. And in fact, they're not. They're just visitors to the mind. But when we are not seeing these defilements clearly and understanding them as they truly are, they make us unhappy. They cause us to live a contorted, distorted uh, life in a way that we can't fully embrace the fullness of life intimately, but rather we cut ourselves off. However, we should understand that these defilements are also part of the Dharma. The Dharma is the way things are. And in 
often the defilements arise and are the way things are, at least in this moment. So we want to understand that the defilements, when the defilements arise, it's not a mistake, it's not an accident. They arise due to causes and conditions that give rise to them in everyone who experiences those causes and conditions. They're not personal. It's like when the temperature rises outside, everyone feels warmer. It's not a personal response to the conditions outside. This is a natural law of cause and effect. So too with the arising of the defilements. When the appropriate causes and conditions are there, the defilements will arise. If we don't understand the arising of the defilements, we'll identify with them. We'll think that's who we are. We'll take ownership of them and therefore suffer. These are the defilements that cause suffering. But how bad can they be, really? Let's be clear. The defilements are unwholesome states of mind. They are a mental phenomena. All of the unpleasantness or pain that you feel in the body is not a defilement. It's unpleasantness of the body. And maybe you have a an unwholesome reaction to it, which would be defiled. But it is the mind that is defiled, not the body. And when we say it is the mind that's defiled, they are unwholesome states of mind. But they condition unpleasant effects in the body. When we get frustrated, or when we feel frustrated, or when disappointment arises in the mind, the body feels unpleasant. We get tight, we get contracted, we feel giddy, we feel the body is conditioned or the experience of the body is conditioned by the unwholesome state of the mind. But so too, sometimes the unwholesome states of the mind condition unpleasant effects in the mind. When we feel disagreeable or we feel tense or we feel stressed, these are the results of the defilements being present in the mind. If we don't recognize, we don't understand the defilements, they only grow stronger. They appear more frequently, they appear stronger, and they last longer. Or I should say, they visit the mind for extended periods of time. When I say that defilements either obscure the object or obscure the nature of the object. We've had this experience today. You know when the mind is filled with restlessness and it wanders off into some train of thought. When you're lost in that train of thought or when there's no awareness of that train of thought, the train goes on and it goes through one station after another you know, into the past, into the future, fantasizing all kinds of scenarios. 
having all kinds of reactions to those scenarios, and we don't know anything about it until the train stops and we get off. And then we can look back and realize that we were unaware for an extended period of time. And yet, something or some capacity of the mind registered everything you were thinking about, but there was no awareness of it. Have you had that experience? The mind wanders. When it's happening, <laughs> you don't know anything about it. You don't know where you are. You don't know you're sitting. You don't know you're on retreat. You don't know your name. You don't know anything. <laughs> and yet, the mind is just, just enchanted with what it is thinking. And it isn't until, thankfully, somehow, the train stops and we get off. And then we can look at where we've been. This is the nature of delusion. Delusion prevents us from seeing what is going on. If you really think about it, that is terrifying. <laughs> we may be living our lives in one or many delusions. Just not aware of what's going on. But thankfully, all of us have been practicing awareness for at least a day, and some of us for decades. And so we're more aware. We know what's going on. We see it. But delusion also has the capacity to obscure the nature of what's going on. So you may be present on the train going past each station. But because we understand it wrongly, we're also deluded. For example, when aversion arises in the mind due to its own causes and conditions, it makes you see only the unpleasant aspect of what it is you're looking at. That's the nature of aversion. Aversion conditions seeing only the unpleasant aspect of something. On the other hand, a desire, an attachment, infatuation, conditions seeing only the pleasant aspect of what you're looking at. So when you fall in love, or I should say, when you fall in lust and attachment, you look at that person and you say, wow, what's wrong with you? Nothing. This is great, you know, and until the other side of the moon arises in your own mind, an aversion arises in the mind, and you look at that same person doing that same thing, and you think, oh. and we can't, and we wonder, what happened? Why'd you change? And they didn't change. Your mind changed. Your mind changed. The defilements are so powerful, either obscuring the object or obscuring the nature of the object. Because of this, we suffer. 
It's as if the defilements cast a spell over the mind, lulling the mind into some enchanted delusion where the dreamlike images flow through the mind and we believe them. It is as if we live one long-running hallucination until and unless we practice awareness and develop insightful understanding. The defilements can be bad. They can really cause a mess. They can really make us suffer, as we all know. If this is the case, which we all can confirm after today's experience, how do we work with these defilements? Because practice is to be aware. Mindfulness helps us be aware. And insight helps us to understand things. So in practicing awareness, we are going to come upon and we're going to discover and recognize the defilements. How do we work with them? How do we not succumb to their deluding power? But rather, how do we disentangle from the clutches of the defilements? First of all, we need to have some information. We need to hear that the defilements arise in the mind. They cause suffering. There are many kinds of them, just as you are hearing in this talk. This is, as I mentioned, hearing the Dharma, taking refuge in the Dharma. This is the teachings of the Buddha. But we also want to understand that even though they are, we are so familiar with these patterns of reactivity, in fact, the recurring patterns of reactivity in the mind has become our personality. And so we take it for granted. We, it's as if we were that way. What's required is that we take another look at the familiar reactivity of the mind, at our familiar, ordinary way of relating to things so that we can begin to recognize them. Having heard that fear, impatience, depression, attachment, excitement are defilements, now we can look at our own experience and begin to recognize them. But it's not easy to recognize familiar experience in a new way. It's not easy to see habits in a way that would cause us to be alarmed at their arising. But with knowledge and with awareness, we can see this is the way things are. Now, the instructions that we offered you this morning in, in the, the first sitting of the day was to try to pay attention to the present moment using a primary object like the breath or your posture in order to 
clearly know what's happening in the present moment. That's what we ask you to do. Pay attention to the present moment. Pay attention to the breath, for example. We don't really expect you to be able to do that. But as you try to do that, you will begin to see the defilements. Won't you? Didn't you see some wandering mind today? Some frustration, some disappointment, some expectation? Of course, we see that because we're paying attention. When you pay attention, this is what you'll see. You'll see this is the way it is right now. When we do that, we begin to, uh, as we develop the momentum of awareness, it becomes impossible to deceive ourselves. We can't pretend otherwise than what we see. We see things as they are. And it's okay. Let me remind you, it's okay to be aware of anything. It's when we aren't aware of what's happening, then we have a problem. So the first step in working with the defilements is to recognize them. Coming out of the delusion or the self-deception and acknowledging, this is the way it is for me right now. But when we do that, we often feel critical. We see these states of mind. We don't like them. We want to get rid of them. We feel ashamed of them. We feel like that's not really me. I hope nobody sees that this is what's going on with me. And so we need to relax. The second step in working with the defilements after you recognize them is to relax. And when I say relax, I mean just accept this is the way it is for now. Not this is who you are forever, but this is the visitor in the mind at this time. Relax doesn't mean to be casual and just kind of like, oh yeah, except this is it. I really am impatient. I really am angry. I re-. It's not that kind of relaxation. It is the relaxation that doesn't struggle with this is the way it is. When we recognize a defilement, whatever it is, it's helpful to acknowledge to ourselves, to name it. This is impatience, or this is fear, this is anger, this is attachment, this is whatever it is. And to recognize this is the way it is, and then add two phrases. For me, for now. Because It's personal in the sense that we feel it, we know it. And we add the for now because this is just a visitor to the mind. If we don't recognize or if we don't remind ourselves that it's just a visitor to the mind, it can feel or we we slide into an unexamined assumption that this is the way it's always been or this is the way it always will be. It's a feeling. You know, when, we get, when you get irritated with someone, you feel like you're going to be irritated with them forever. I mean, we know that's not true, but it feels that way. And so we want to be careful not to slide into that 
unexamined assumption and uh, mistakenly eternalize a momentary perception. So we relax. Saito Utejaniya puts it this way, the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. These defilements come uninvited. We didn't, we didn't ask for these kinds of experiences today. They come uninvited. The mind is not yours. What occurs in the mind occurs through causes and conditions that are outside of your immediate control. But once these states of mind arise, you have to do something about it or you'll really suffer. And so it's, it's up to us to apply our intention, our aspiration, our effort, our awareness to experience, to recognize, to relax, and to feel what these states of mind are like. Once we recognize and we relax, meaning we accept, oh, this is the way it is for me for now, then we need to exercise some restraint because so often when we recognize the defilements, we want to just get rid of them or we want to act them out. You know, you feel impatient and so you act out. We act out our impatience or we feel frustrated and we act out our frustration or we feel angry and we do something to express it to the one that we're angry with. And so we need to uh, exercise some restraint in not acting out the defilements. And the way to do that is to There are many ways to do that. One way is to reflect or think about the opposite of what you're experiencing. So when you're feeling angry, you can generate thoughts of loving kindness. When you're feeling doubtful, you can remember something that inspires your faith. When you're feeling or blaming someone, you can practice forgiveness. There are many uh, antidotes, we say, reflective antidotes for temporarily or momentarily overcoming the defilements in the mind. You might replace the present moment defilement with a present moment sense object so that when the mind is entangled in some scenario in the past, in the future, and it's full of defilement, if we open our eyes and start noticing what we're seeing, or we turn our attention to hearing and notice what we're hearing, or we just feel what we feel on the surface of our skin, we're still being mindful of the present moment, but we're turning our attention away from the source of the defilement. We're turning it towards a neutral sense object. This is exercising some restraint from acting out defilement. You can also just avoid it. The Buddha was explicit in offering this as the first step in dealing with everything that causes unwholesome states of mind to arise. Avoid it if possible. Some poet uh, in America was being interviewed on the radio and she read a poem, one line of which really stuck out to me. 
Your mind is a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go there alone. <laughs> we can understand that as the mind has some dangerous areas in it, the defilements. Don't go there without your awareness. If you're going to go rummaging around in the mind, take your awareness with you so that you can avoid those areas of danger that can cause you harm, that can cause you to suffer. After we exercise some restraint, we've recognized the defilement, we've relaxed, we've accepted this is the way it is for me, for now, and we've exercised some restraint, we're not just acting it out, it's helpful to reframe your understanding. So often, when we hear a talk about the hindrances or the defilements, and we begin to recognize them, our first and seemingly intuitively correct response is to get rid of it. You can get rid of any defilement instantly, but there's no understanding. You know, when you're lost in some fantasy in the past, you just open your eyes and connect with the present moment, and it's gone. That's easy. Or you're sitting in screeching agony in the body, and you're just getting frustrated and struggling. Shift your posture. It's easy to get rid of those defilements. But just getting rid of them doesn't bring any understanding. And so we want to reframe our wrong view of the defilements, how to work with the defilements. Instead of an obstacle, instead of considering the defilements as obstacles to awareness or obstacles to your insight or even obstacles to your happiness, we should consider them opportunities. Because here is an area of the mind. Here is the ter some terrain of the heart which we do not yet understand correctly. It is an opportunity to, to expand our understanding, to expand our mind, to, to open more fully to life's experiences. Again, Saito Utejaniya says, try to recognize that defilements are simply defilements. They are not your defilements. The wandering mind is not the problem, but rather your attitude that it should not be wandering is the problem. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis often make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experience, rather than being willing to try to work with the defilements. Now, let's be honest. How many of us came to this retreat hoping for, well, hopefully, some good experiences? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> How many of us came here diligently committed to working with the defilements for as long as they arise. <laughs> well, we know from our prior experience that we're probably going to have to deal with some. 
But if we fully acknowledge and accept this, this is the job, this is the task. I mean, when, we're, when the mind is not filled with defilements, we don't have anything to do. We just, life is going along fine. But it's when the defilements arise in the mind, then we have some, some work to do. And being willing to work with these states of mind is, uh, you know, this is our job. So reframing our understanding from trying to get rid of the defilements, being willing to see them as an opportunity to grow in understanding. And if we do that, then it really allows us to be present with them. The fifth step or the fifth uh, phase of working with the defilements is to be aware of them just to be mindful of them. We've recognized them. We're not acting them out. We've relaxed. We've accepted them. We understand that this is the place. This is the very place for establishing awareness. It's not like we have to get rid of the defilements before we can be aware or in order to be mindful. The defilements are the very place and the very experience for developing awareness. And the way we do that is to allow ourselves to feel them, to feel the defilements. Now, most often we recognize the defilements, or some of us recognize the defilements by the story that they tell in our mind. You know, he said this, I said that, I should have done this, they should have done that, they shouldn't have done this. And that story goes on and on and on. And we may recognize that, oh, this is, this is anger. Or this is frustration. When we do, we can put that story aside and just encourage ourselves to, to really receive the feeling of that state of mind without the story, not the story. We're not trying to explain it. We're not trying to justify it. We're not trying to put it off on anyone else. We're just trying to acknowledge, what does this state of mind actually feel like? Now, we've all experienced sleepiness. We've all experienced restlessness. We've all experienced some aversion and some desire today. What do they feel like? We know the story, but what do they actually feel like? This is the task of mindfulness. Mindfulness is the awareness of the object as it appears, so that we actually touch. We actually touch that state of mind with our awareness. When we do, we, we actually investigate what is this experience. But we have to be careful not to just slide into the story again, because the story, it just goes on and on. It goes around and around. We see it from many different sides, many different perspectives, and that's useful, but it's not liberating. If we want to really see through the defilements, we need to touch the very nature of them. Some of us are afraid of snakes. Some of us are afraid of heights. Some of us are afraid of flying. Some of us are afraid of public speaking. Some of us, we have many fears. Each one of us has many fears. Some of us have 
fears that others don't fear. But imagine if one time that fear arose in your mind, you could put aside the story, you could put aside the self-pity, you could put aside all the resistance, and just allow yourself to feel it, to really open to and feel. This is what fear feels like. Got it. Okay, no resistance, no turning away from it. This is what fear feels like. What happens? We stop fearing fear. We stop fearing fear. So that the next time fear arises, we know what fear is like. We can be with that. We have already mm, laid down the track in the mind that knows the nature of fear. So as we encourage ourselves in our practice to open to and to feel these states of mind, we can understand that it's the nature of fear. It is the nature of impatience. It is the nature of attachment. It is the nature of pity. It is the nature of blaming that we're coming to know. The nature, the impersonal nature, rather than the personalized story. It is the impersonal nature. And each one of us has our own unique experience and flavor to these states of mind. An important liberating insight occurs when we can do this. When we can encourage ourselves to actually touch and open to and feel these defiled states of mind. First, let me just say, they are unpleasant. All defilements are unpleasant. That means in order to feel them with full awareness, we have to be willing to experience unpleasantness consciously. We have to be willing to experience unpleasantness. Now, we all experienced unpleasantness today unwillingly. When we can shift our attention, when we can work with our intention and our strength of mind and feel that unpleasantness willingly, we learn something that you cannot get from a book. These states of mind don't last very long. We don't know how long they last until we actually touch them. The story goes on for weeks, days, months, years. You know, we may have unfinished business from 20 or 30 years ago. Well, some of you don't, some of you aren't 30 yet, but you may have noticed some of the stories that arise in the mind from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, because we've been carrying the story around without ever having fully felt 
that experience and seen that, seen insightfully seen that this feeling doesn't last. It is also unpleasant. It is also impersonal. It arises due to causes and conditions that are not under our immediate control. These, this knowledge or these knowledges about the nature of the defilements is liberating. It's invaluable. When we see over and over again, this is the nature of the defilements, that they're impermanent, they're unsatisfactory, they're impersonal. In time, that understanding comes to our rescue whenever the defilements arise, and we know this doesn't last. This is not about me. This is about impersonal causes and conditions outside of my immediate control. But to have that knowledge, to acquire that knowledge, takes a steadiness of mind, takes a steadiness of attention, and a willingness to experience, oh, this is the way it is for me for now. The knowledge will come with the awareness. The wisdom that understands this is the nature of the defilements is unavoidably going to arise with the steadiness of your attention. And so our encouragement for you in practice, and will be for as long as you're here this week, is to notice what's going on. Just be aware of what's going on. Whether it's the breath or pain or, an, or a defiled state of mind, really doesn't matter. It's the willingness to experience and to fully touch and to feel what is going on in each moment. A lot of it is very ordinary, very mundane, nothing special. Don't get bored. Boredom is a defiled state of mind. Don't get averse. Aversion is a defiled state of mind. But be patient, be persistent, because the habits of the mind are strong. We know. The habits of the mind are extremely strong, in part because we don't look at them. We just accept them. This is the way I am. No, you're not if you don't want to be. But it takes awareness to confront that mistaken belief. <clears throat> Again, Sayadaw Utejaniya says, in order to understand the defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the defilements, they will dissolve. Once you're able to handle defilements, good experiences will naturally follow. Naturally follow. We don't have to try to make them happen. We just have to see, this is the way it is for me, for now. To wrap up, I want to do a quick review of the five most common defilements, known as the hindrances, because they arise so frequently in our practice we want to really make them, uh, we want to get our uh, mind ready to recognize 
these five states of mind. The first is sloth and torpor. The first time I did a three-month retreat, a couple decades ago, first couple of weeks into the, into the three-month retreat went fine, and then I hit sloth and torporville. <laughs> and for six weeks, six weeks, that's half of a three-month course, I had sloth and torpor. Every time I went for a check-in with one of my teachers, I was talking about sloth and torpor and my struggling with it and how I was working with it and soliciting additional ways of, I could have written a book on how to work with sloth and torpor. Unbeknownst to me, I was trying to get rid of it rather than trying to understand it. Why? And this is a good question to ask yourself. Why does sloth and torpor arise? Well, in the first couple of days of retreat, sleepiness often arises because we're overextended. We, we, we've been living our life too full, too fast, for too long. And when we get to a quiet place where there's no demands on us and there's nothing to stimulate us, the mind can finally rest. And so it's quite natural to feel tired. We've seen that kind of sleepiness or sloth, uh, torpor, heaviness of mind today. There's another source for sloth and torpor after you get through this first couple of days and the mind gets some rest and gets rested in, in the statue When we experience painful physical or painful emotional content. The mind does not like to feel that. It doesn't want to feel unpleasantness. And it would rather go to sleep. That's our habit. When things get painful, go to sleep. So it takes, and this is a difficult place in practice, to be willing to stay awake for the unpleasant physical sensations and the unpleasant mental stuff that inevitably comes up for review. In both cases, whether it's sleepiness in the first few days because we're overextended, or the sloth and torpor of avoidance when things become unpleasant, we work with it the same way. Recognize it, name it, exercise some restraint, reframe your experience, feel it. Try to feel it. There's a third uh, cause and condition or set of conditions for the arising of sloth and torpor. It's when we get, mm, let's say, over-concentrated or over-tranquilized, where the objects become subtle and continuous, and we're just settling into a very soft, quiet, wow, this is great. You know, the mind is just so calm and subtle. And and we, 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 fall in, we fall out, or the bottom drops out, I say. It's called sinking mind, where the energy to recognize what's going on isn't sufficient to meet the level of tranquility, and so we have a sleepy kind of experience. It's not really sleepiness. It's an imbalance in concentration and energy. Again, we work with it the same way. Recognize it, name it, take note of it 
exercise some restraint. Feel it. Clearly recognizing this is what's going on. This is sloth and torpor. Get familiar with it. It's one of the last defilements to leave on the Arahant's path to awakening. So it's going to be around for a while. So don't just struggle with it. Don't just try to get rid of it. Get familiar with it. Because the more familiar you are with sloth and torpor, the more you'll understand about it. Doubt. Another defilement that inevitably arises in our practice. It often appears in the form of uh, doubt about ourself. Can I do this practice? It's a challenge. None of us know yet, do we, if we can do this practice. And so sometimes we start thinking about it. Can I? Can I? Should I? Shouldn't I? Will I? Won't I? Does it? Doesn't it? Is this the right way for me? Is Maybe I should be doing some you know, some other kind of practice, or maybe this is not the right time for me, or maybe I'm not doing it right, maybe I don't understand. The, there's all kinds of ways of thinking about ourself in practice that keep us from actually practicing. It feels like thinking that we have to do. I've got to figure out whether I can do this. I've got to figure out whether this is the right practice for me, or this is the right time for me to be doing this practice. And we think we have to, to come to a resolution, an answer, before we will know. But this is just a manifestation of doubt. You cannot think your way out of doubt. You can only be aware of doubt and see that it passes without you answering the questions that it asks. So be careful about trying to think your way out of doubt about whether, if to, when to, whether to. It manifests as procrastination, putting off till later, dealing with what's happening now. You'll see that in your practice, when you just put off dealing with discomfort or put off dealing with, you know, the restlessness of the mind. You just put it off till next sitting or later, later in the retreat. I'll take it. I'll, I'll deal with that. This is doubt. Begin to recognize it and, and work with it. Again, aversion is, of course, one of the biggies. It arises due to just an unwillingness, really, to, uh, or an inability to recognize unpleasantness and an unwillingness to experience it. When unpleasantness arises, as it will, due to causes and conditions, our habit is to react to it with some form of aversion. Judgment, disliking, irritation, impatience, pushing away, depression, frustration, disappointment. These are conditioned, deeply conditioned uh, reactions. It's just a habit. It's just a habit. When we can recognize, oh, this is my habitual reaction to unpleasantness and remind ourselves to willingly experience unpleasantness, aversion doesn't, can, cannot establish itself in the mind. But it takes trying. We need to try that, see for ourselves that this is so. Restlessness, of course, is the fourth uh, frequent visitor of the mind, fourth hindrance. Um, 
you already know. Restlessness manifests as wandering mind. When the mind wanders, the mind is restless. The longer the wander, the stronger the restlessness. Now, in the beginning of a retreat, sometimes we sit down, we have beginner's luck. We sit down, and in 45 minutes, the mind only wanders three times. And we think, going to be a good retreat, <laughs> really doing good. And then, second day of the retreat, we sit down for 45 minutes, and the mind wanders 45 times. And we think, it's getting worse. But actually, your practice is getting better. I know it's counterintuitive, but the first time, when the mind only wandered three times, it wandered for 15 minutes each. <laughs> and on day two, when the mind wandered 45 times, it only wandered for a minute each. And a, a, a minute wander is much better practice than a 15-minute wander. <laughs> so don't be confused by how often you notice the wandering mind. The more often you notice it, the better your practice. Think of it that way. It's very counterintuitive. But the more frequently you notice the wandering mind, that means the less you're wandering. Don't be confused by that. Attachment. Any form of attachment arises, attachment, clinging, yearning, excitement, arises due to or is conditioned by a pleasant experience. When a pleasant experience arises in the mind or in the environment or in the body, our, react, our habitual reaction is to get attached to it, to enjoy it to indulge it, to fantasize about it, to plan to have more of it. In that understanding is the key to working with attachment. Learn how to experience pleasantness without indulging in it. How to be aware of pleasantness without just indulging and losing your awareness of it. This is the key to attachment. Because when attachment arises, we f often attend to the object of our desire, the person, the experience, the bell ringing at the end of the sitting, whatever it is that we, you know, the sound of that bell can be something that we really cultivate a pretty strong attachment to. Um, but when we focus on or when we um, attend to the object of our desire, it always looks pleasant. That's the nature of desire. It makes you see the pleasant aspect of something. Instead, in practice, working with desire or attachment of any form, turn around and look at the actual experience of attachment itself. Feel what attachment or desire feels like. Not the object. The object is pleasant. But turn around and feel what the nature of wanting, of yearning, not getting what you want, feels like. That's not so pleasant. But that's the nature of attachment. And when we turn our attention and turn our awareness to attachment, that's what we'll see. And in this way, we learn about the nature of attachment. These are the five major hindrances to our practice. Sloth and torpor, restlessness, aversion, desire, and doubt.
You'll have plenty of opportunity to see them in the coming days. Be willing to work with them. Cultivating the awareness that can grow in understanding of them. Because always remember, Sayadaw says, that it's not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does the job. And when you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. So let's just sit for a moment and let the birds uh, settle down. <laughs>